0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com You don't really exist, no offense, you don't really exist, all that truly exists is God. That's true monotheism. You see, I didn't say you don't exist, I said you don't really exist. You do exist. In some form of reality, you exist. You don't really exist. You see, in, as a true monotheist, what I call a hardcore monotheist, as opposed to soft karma, softcore monotheist. Okay, a hardcore monotheist believes not that there's one God. Everyone, know, all the softcore monotheists, the monotheism we learned in elementary school—that was a sleeper. There's God up there somewhere the sleeper monotheism the one that doesn't change your life is the belief in one God Right? that's not going to change anyone's life so, Daniel is it going to change your life to find out there's one God yeah it might change a little you know? um, but Judaism doesn't say that that's not what we say we don't say that there's one God we say that God is one That God is absolute oneness and indivisible oneness. Well, if God's indivisible oneness, that means that anything that's... There is nothing outside of that. Because once you say there's something outside of that, God ends. That gives corporeality, order, limit, finitude, finiteness to God. That's why we say God is one, right? When you say, you read in English, the in the prayer book, the Shema, it doesn't say, "Hero O Israel, Lord our God, but there's one of Him. It doesn't say that. It says, "Hero O Israel, Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's absolute oneness. When we say that, we cover our eyes with our right hand. Because when we say that oneness, when we're saying our ultimate truth, the thing we say in our deathbed, we say it in the morning, we say it at night, we say it before we go to bed, in case we don't wake up, when we mention that oneness, we cover our eyes with our hands, because when we're saying the truth that God is absolute oneness, we don't want to see the lie, the matrix, the multiplicity of this world because they're they're in contradiction with one another. They cannot both be true. We can't have God be absolutely one while at the same time have all these chairs and all these tables and all these people and all these protons, neutrons, electrons and all this multiplicity in this world. Something's got to give. So either God's making us up or we're making God up, but they can't both be absolutely true. That's what I mean. You don't really exist. You can't really ultimately exist in light of God being absolute oneness. So that, you, it's a funny thing because the concept of God created the world in a way is heresy. God created the world, meaning God, who like ends here, created the world over here. So it's like God created the world, meaning God ends, the world begins. That's not the God of the Jews. That's not what we came to teach the world about. When we came to teach the world about monotheism, Now it's a bit hard to get your head around it, because it means you're ultimately an illusion of God's imagination, a figment of God's imagination. It means ultimately you're in the mind of God, right now, and you've never been anywhere but the mind of God. So if you had a GPS... System. Right now, it would tell you you're in Jerusalem, in the Old City, across from the Temple Mount. But your GPS system, meaning the satellites and all, the whole entire GPS system itself is inside a whole other system called the Mind of God. So, though you exist in location, and the GPS system would show you where you exist in location, there's really a much greater reality which is a locational. It's a locational. It's somewhere inside this infinity called God, and inside that that mind of God is where we truly exist. Uh, there's a good movie that kind of talks about this called um, the Truman Show. I think it was the Truman Show, where the whole this guy's living a whole life on a you know a domed. Hollywood set and he thinks he's living in his... Uh, yeah. <laughs> you saw that? Yeah. <laughs> so, so the Truman Show. So, they, so it's kind of like that. Meaning we think when we go out of this room to the outside, we think we're going outside. But we don't realize that outside's also inside. Anywhere you've ever been. The Himalayas in India, the the uh, Swiss Alps Vietnam Los Angeles New York England, South Africa it's all within the mind of God so is Mars, so is Jupiter, so is every galaxy nothing's ever left the mind of God the whole expanding universe is inside the mind of God that's what I call hardcore monotheism. and that's our job to be hardcore monotheists. We have another thing we say in prayer often. We say, <laughs> We sing that song. And he is one. The Ain, there is no second. There is no sheni. There's no such thing as a sheni. It also says in the Torah that Hashem, uh, it says in the fifth book of the Torah, it says, Ain od milvado, there is ain, there is not od any other milvado than him. So the Torah is telling this over and over again, and this isn't like some idea that Rabbi Glazer is coming to put on you that we don't believe we have imperative existence, but rather that God is the imperative existence, and we are some subset of that oneness. It's not me telling you; the Torah says it over and over again. Now, this concept of monotheism is a groundbreaking, life-shaking paradigm shift. It changes everything, doesn't it? Think about it. I mean, you're, you're part of God. Not that God is part, so it really gets out there, but somehow you're within God. It changes everything. I'm married to God in the form of my wife. I better treat her nicely. I do not raise my voice to my wife. My children are ultimately, from what we're talking about, they're somehow inside this oneness in the mind of God. They're right now in the form of kids. My kids, but they're not really my kids, they're really God's. And do I have any permission to hurt them in any way? Speak to them however I want spank them I mean they're what yeah no they can they, they can get a poch until age five or six six seven until about seven <laughs> seven they can still get a poch after seven after seven that's not going to do anything it's just taking out one's anger but, they, but they're not mine I have to treat them with sanctity I have to treat you with sanctity. I have to be careful of the speech I use. I have to tell the truth because what are those sound waves made of if I lie? They're made of God. And I don't want to bo- borrow part of God for a lie. Every, everything becomes cosmically holy. I get holier and become more careful where I go because God is everywhere in that case and and, but he's also in my soul, and I don't want to like drag God through any more than he's already being dragged through. You gotta understand, God's in the discotheques he's in the raves, he's in the prostitution houses. He's, there's nowhere God isn't. God's a big boy. You know, he's dealing with a lot of heavy stuff. He's in uh, the the uh, the genocides in Africa. He's in, he's in the mosques, in the churches. He's, God's everywhere. And he's, and he's being subjected to some major difficulties. But I don't want to be part of that. I'm not going to drag God. I, someone wants to speak evil gossip about someone. I'm out of here. I'm just going to go like this. I don't want to hear it because I don't want, I don't want to drag, drag God through any more than he's already being dragged through. Yeah? How do we reconcile this idea with the fact that, um, you don't separate the two things, with Kedusha, that you don't bring down Hoshen to the physical world. Um, How do you reconcile that idea with the fact that uh, God is everywhere, even in the places of evil and darkness? I don't understand the question. One of the sages says that um, God is everywhere that man allows him to be. Right. right? And so there are spaces spiritually that are absent of God. There, they're a leaf. That's true. only figuratively I have a sin of God. Meaning the famous line is where is God and the answer is wherever you allow Him to be. That's just a... in order. That's a, to teach someone a lesson that if they're not feeling God it's because they're not allowing it themselves to. But we have another statement... Right. We have another famous statement in Judaism is if you're feeling far from God it wasn't God who moved. Mm. Mm. So that's another good one another good one is the they, uh, great Rebbe asked a little kid who turned out to be a great Rebbe too later he asked it was the Kutzka Rebbe he asked the Rebbe he said um, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a dime if you tell me where God is and the kid said back I'll give you two if you tell me where he isn't mm-hmm. that's what the kid said and I once asked one of my one of my little kids once said uh, said i I don't believe in God and my two older kids said send her to her room <laughs> <laughs> and I said they were all little and I said, I said I, I, to myself I said this is a great opportunity thank God she said something she could have that could, things like that confessed her in a religious home so I said really you don't believe in God why not She says well I don't see him a classic, perfect segue into a discussion about God being, you know, all that there is, but you can if you saw him, you wouldn't have any free will, which means serving God would be meaningless. Serving a God you can see right in front of your face is a meaningless thing. It's like handing a kid a hundred bucks every time he gives you a hug. Those hugs aren't very meaningful after a while. And I explained to her this whole concept that we're discussing today about this oneness idea. So, uh, one day, I asked the kids why you can't see God. you know what she said? That same little girl, she was four years old a year later. I asked the kids, she said at four years old, so my question was, why can't you see God? And she said, because if you could see God, you wouldn't see anything else. That may be over everyone's heads here, uh, but what that means is the only reason you see everything else is because God's, so to speak, veiled his in, in, veiled himself into physical reality, so you won't see him, so you'll have free will, and your choices are meaningful, therefore. But if you were to see God, you wouldn't see any of this. All you'd see is God, but you wouldn't have even a you to experience God with. Meaning the only reason you have a you is because of God being filtered, so to speak, so to speak, out of the creation, so that there is a creation from which to relate to God with. Just making sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah? You guys are from Sedona, that doesn't count, you know, I'm asking the rest of the group. They're from a highly spiritual town, you guys heard of Sedona? Sedona? It's a t- town basically dedicated to spirituality in Arizona. Is that right? Yeah. Is it still that way, or has it gotten commercialized a little bit? Well, you find your both Highly spiritual. Highly spiritual. Even work. the commercializations probably of the spiritual nature. Yeah. Okay. You can buy a bottle of it. Yeah. Okay. You can buy a bottle. We're in <laughs> <laughs> <So. laughs> a bottle. A bottle of spirituality or a Bottle of Sedona. Both. <laughs> they're both available so okay um, okay but this isn't our point the point is as follows given the oneness that we've talked about this was all an introduction this was all just an introduction you guys thought this was a class about God mm-hmm. this isn't a class about God this is a class about insanity And the insanity is that we think we exist as individuals. I mean, we do, but in the bigger picture of things, we don't. Yet, how many of us find ourselves miserably analyzing how we're doing at all times? We're totally self-absorbed in this like constant, what I'd call an analysis paralysis of selfhood when in the bigger picture you don't even exist and if you do exist it's only obviously to serve the oneness which means okay if you want to be a little selfish so start feeding yourself Torah get filled with Torah but if you're already feeling full of from Torah so now go go do something for somebody the whole creation is just an experiment to see whether you'll give or not. That's all it is. It's just whether you're going to see the world as something you need to take or is something you need to contribute towards. Meaning, is this a world about you or is it a world of service and your life is about service? That is the bottom line. It's just one giant video game that God created to see if people would get it. And it isn't just individuals, it's nations. Nations fight wars against each other, mostly over resources. Mostly over selfishness. That's the experiment of creation. Both on the global level, nation versus nation, and on the individual level. You know what we're like with our individuality? We're like, imagine the uh, Pacific Ocean you know with the you know, it's incredible depth incredible breadth and imagine one molecule of water in the middle of the bed of the ocean who suddenly declares independence of the rest of the ocean Can you imagine such a thing? I have nothing to do with this ocean and one little molecule of water has declared independence evaporation <laughs> mm-hmm. It's in, the, but it's in the middle of the bed of the water. It's. He can't evaporate. He's down here. Only this can evaporate. He's right here, and he's declared independence. That's you and your individuality. That's the way you've been living, as if you live separate from the reality of this oneness. And. That's how insane it is. Just like it's totally insane for a molecule in the middle of the bed of the Pacific Ocean to declare independence. It's just as insane, if not more insane, for a human being to be so spaced out to the oneness of God that he or she is experiencing sacredness. And you know, when people die... (coughs) people die and get revived on hospital tables after brain death and stuff like that you know and they're able to like bring them back to life with the PJCs the people jumper tables and they get them back to life and now their hearts beating again and everything they realize the oneness at that point and they will quit their job as event organizer and become a service like a servant to the world they, they often will quit selfish jobs not that an event organizer is selfish can be seen in any job can be seen in you could be making clothing for selfish purposes and then make clothing to clothe people but they turn towards surface orientation once they've had that past life experience because they realize the truth at that point So the question is really about the proportion in which we relate to selfhood, that it's out of proportion. It's just out of proportion. There's nothing wrong with being self-focused when you're working on your growth, when you're thinking of how you just spoke to someone in a way that might not have been the most kind, when you think to yourself, maybe I wasn't generous enough. There's nothing wrong with doing a little self-reflection, but meaning that would be proper proportions. But as monotheists, we're way out of proportion involved with self. The reason that um, it's just a product of monotheism itself, which says that uh, the entire purpose of the universe is um, so that man can exist and have a relationship with God. You'd say that the selfishness that that comes out of all atheism comes apart from its own beliefs. Um, Let me put it like this. I hear what you're saying. It works well in the linguistics, but let's just put it like this. There was absolute oneness before creation. God created, and this is so to speak, because it's only in God's mind anyway, but God created another, something separate from that oneness. In order that that other can now consciously relate and get back to the oneness as a conscious other and come back to that oneness, the whole point is the oneness. There's no selfishness there. But the rocks, the mountains, the rivers, the planets, the stars, these the animals—these are all for the purpose that the other. Would have an arena to do so. Would have an arena to do so. Yeah. It's quite a, quite a um, anthropocentric concept. What is? anthropocentric concept. Everything out there is just for us. I mean, the secular world has walked on just the same impression, especially in the West, that the, you know, the world's for us and we use it and we can control it because God gave it to us or because nothing could stop us from doing it they're pretty much the same but the the question is if everything exists for us aren't we being selfish? We justify everything exists. It all depends on your goal. It all depends on your goal. You know, one person's driving fast because he's a reckless driver another person's driving fast because he's trying to get the hospital. It all depends on the goal. You're right, it could be seen as total selfishness. There's a line our sages say Bishpili nivraho alam for me the world was created sounds very selfish on the other hand it sounds like you're taking responsibility you see think about it for me the world was created can be a statement of I it ultimately in my life boils down to me taking responsibility for this world and for hunger and for strife and for you understand like and the world was created for me to use it to ultimately get back to that oneness Or I could be seen as, for me, the world was created. Meaning I I get to be this glutton to be selfish with this world. So it really all all depends on the goal. But obviously Judaism is stating the goal. The goal is to get back to the oneness. You're right. Someone could be very selfish in this case. Okay, now. How does Judaism say to do this? How do we say to get out of self and into the oneness? So the Torah says that there are three ways, that um, there are three pillars of creation. Okay? Our sages tell us three pillars. So basically the point is getting to God, and, and the whole world that God created stands on three things, and those three things are Torah, The next is Avoda. And the last thing is... Did I write Hebrew? I'm writing Hebrew. Uh, Right, so... We're going to call this kindness. So, um, now what these mean is Torah study. This means prayer, service of God. And the last is... Doing for others, service to the world, being of service to the world. These are the three pillars. Okay, and this is simply mind. This is emotion. And this is and this is instincts, physical urge, desire. What is it about service of God. And, and the, the last two are really service. One service is God. And the last one's service of others. Service of others. Yeah. Okay. It's filling your mind with Torah. Using your heart to connect to your Maker. Because emot- hearts are emotional connection. And then uh, finally is serving others. Is going against our selfish instinct. Remember what we said. The whole point is to give. Whole point is to make sure others have. Let me tell you. Uh, let me give you my my great. Uh, 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 I don't know how to say it exactly. Principle. You see, if if you you know the famous line. If you don't take care of yourself, no one's going to. Yeah. It's not true if you don't take care of yourself I'm not saying everyone's going to but I'm going to say something else you see if everyone walks around with the words if I don't take care of myself no one's going to that's exactly what makes the world fall apart I understand the statement I understand that it's a little nerve wracking if you're not taking care of yourself who's going? it but think about it this way Imagine that you lived in a micro community. Let's say there's 200 people, and everyone in this micro community is never allowed to do anything for themselves. But everyone has to do for someone else. Are you ever going to have to worry about your needs? You're going to probably have more than you ever had. You'll have the, you'll probably have a nicer car. And you got two. You have 199 people, totally bent on you having everything you need probably have a nicer car You probably have a nicer house probably have nicer clothes your laundry will probably be cleaner your shirts will probably be better pressed. you have 199 people worrying about you I mean they're also worrying about the other 199 but that's what they spend their time worrying about so you're definitely going to be covered by several people most of the time so this whole concept if I don't worry about me who's going to is crazy because if we all just decided to take care of each other you don't have to worry about you and that's the God model that is the monotheist model remember monotheism is all, that God is one is all there is and remember the whole video game was to see if you'd give versus take well, in the model of everyone taking care of each other, you no longer have to worry about you, and then the world was fixed and it came to rectification, and then that's ultimately the times of the Messiah. You've got to realize Judaism's not into Messiah. We're into messianic era. We don't care who the guy is, we don't care if his name's Fred or Joe or Bill or Bob. We don't care who it is. What we're interested in is people living in reality and getting out of this selfish illusion they live in. Where some guy's going to pick a lock of some mansion of a family who's out of town and breaks down crying at the lock as he's trying to stick his things inside the lock. He breaks down crying, realizing, I can't believe I almost stole from myself. Because that's he's me and I'm him and we're all one. How can you perpetrate evil against another when he is also God and I am also God and we're all of the same? That's what we're interested in. This model of reality is the way we're supposed to live and God is simply waiting. God has a tremendous patience I mean, he didn't seem to have a lot of patience in the generation of Noah. And do you know what the issue was in Noah's generation? It got to the ultimate of if I don't take care of myself, no one will. So there was no, you weren't allowed to give money, you were not allowed to he even lend. Lending was forbidden according to law. If he doesn't have enough, let him die. It was classic social Darwinism, survival of the fittest. You know what that's called, by the way, living like that? You're not going to believe what that's called in Hebrew. Check out your Torah. <laughs> it's, it's actually called, it's going to be funny when I tell you, but it, it's called Hamas. The word Hamas in Hebrew, I don't know what it means in Arabic, but the word Hamas in Hebrew means uh, financial, um, I don't know, cruelty or or, or ruthlessness, financial ruthlessness. It's called Hamas and it's enough to destroy the world. And by the way, what other place was destroyed in the Bible? Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And you know why they were destroyed? No. No. No hospitality. Same thing. No guests. No guests. Why? Because if you open your home to the needy, it's going to become a... Everyone's going to find out that this is where you can come if you're needy. And the place gets filled with have People who are have-nots. That's exactly what causes God to want to destroy the world. But... I know our world is looking very much like that. It's all about you, you know. I think that's what it says on all the Kotex trucks driving around. It's, it's all about you, you know. But we live in a different world. We live in the world of Shin. You know, there's a great story. I'm not sure where it shows up. I've heard it from so many sources. Of uh, You know, the classic heaven and hell scenario in the story. So hell, this person's brought to hell and wants to see hell. He he gets a tour of hell and heaven. So he first goes to hell and he sees the most sumptuous feast has been set up with the most delicious delicacies available. And everyone is dressed to their finest. Except that when you look at the people around the table, they're totally emaciated like horribly, decrepitly emaciated their skin is stuck to their bones their skeletal faces why? because everyone's fork to eat the food with is 10 feet long Well, they just can't eat they're starving to death and they're trying to, you know, they fork that delicious, you know, uh, uh, tomato. and But they can't get it to their mouth because it's 10 feet away. So the same guy says, can I see what heaven looks like? And he goes to heaven and he sees it. it's the same exact scenario. Nothing's different except everyone's joyous and happy and well fed. Why? Because they're feeding one another feeding one another across the table. This is the model of true monotheism. When you truly get it, you become, your life becomes a life of service. You are here to serve. And by the way, serving God doesn't seem so foreign anymore. For a lot of people, especially Westerners, especially Jewish Westerners who are from secular backgrounds. Serving God seems strange. Even bowing is very hard. Like just to do this before their Creator is something that's (laughs) like, my body doesn't do that. You know, like they're not—they just can't bow down. But amazingly, when your life is about service, and now you walked into a afternoon service, a mincha prayer service—that's the afternoon prayers. You walk into a mincha prayer service, you just slide right in because. You were serving anyway, so when it's time for mincha, yeah, I'm, my life's about serve. Oh, now it's time to serve God with, you know, a mincha service, the afternoon service, slide right in. But when you're in the other model of, you know, if I don't take care of me, who will? And but you're an observant Jew, so it's now time for the afternoon service. So now you step up to the plate, you know, and you get in there and you're ready to serve God. You may find that you're only really starting to serve God by the very last prayer of Alenu Le Shabek. That's the final prayer. You may find yourself only getting warmed up when it was over. Because how are you supposed to serve God when your life wasn't, isn't about service, but it's all about you? And not to mention God's like, oh, now it's about service. Where were you the other six hours of the day? Serving yourself, weren't you? Now you want to serve me. Let's see see you live service. So what I want to share with you is a piece of advice that we should all get right now and take with us from this class. Discover what your special service is. What are you here to do for this world? Figure out what it is and start doing it. Live for that. Wake up for it in the morning. Go to sleep early enough at night so you have the strength in the morning to serve. But what's your special service? What is the thing you want to put in this world? It might come from a feeling that you're bothered by a lack of it. And since you're bothered by a lack of it, it must mean that you're here to fix it because it doesn't bother the other guy. I'll give you an example. Um, I have a neighbor who was raised in Jerusalem and he was raised here during times of famine and other difficulties and stuff. So he, what he hates is people who don't have enough food. So he spends all his time feeding people. He's a good guy to go visit if you're hungry, by the way, because he'll feed you when you come over. But it's not just that, when the holidays come for him, he cannot sleep at night with the notion that there may be a Jew in Jerusalem or any other city in Israel that doesn't have food on his table, cannot feed their children on that holiday. And Any day of the week he feels that way, but a holiday he just can't sleep. So he won't sleep. You know what he does? He spends all night up, every night, and he calls all around the world to raise money. And then when he gets all the money together, he goes out and he buys the f- staple foods and sets up these boxes and I was doing it last week. I was filling boxes for him. I brought in a whole group of people from America and I said, Hey guys, time for service. And we went in this in this place and we started loading the boxes with food. I'm really his partner in the place. We, we have a hall where we, um, for underprivileged families who have life cycle events like a circumcision or a kiddush or anything like that, we have a hall where we uh, house them. That's also where my seminar uh, is run, uh, which starts tonight. Um, so, he can't live without that. Now, here's the thing is he is so busy feeding people, he never has time. To what? Feed himself. No, he feeds himself. He's he's a good, nice jolly guy. He's a he's got a bowl full of jelly there. Um, he never has time to what? Remember the Pacific Ocean. What does he never have time for? Separate. Separate. He never takes care of himself. No, he definitely takes care of himself. What? serve himself. He never has time to be involved in this like staring at one's belly button, like self-analysis, analysis, paralysis that we all get ourselves stuck in. You have to understand that you're constant working on yourself and how am I doing now, which I said was like insane. There's nothing wrong with it, I guess, at times, but that's when you're in a good mood. But you, We have all kinds of moods. When you're in a good mood, you do a tremendous analysis of yourself. When you're not in a good mood and you're still analyzing yourself, you're going to do a lousy job. You're going to beat yourself up in a low mood. Have you ever noticed that you beat yourself up in a low mood when you're analyzing yourself? A simple answer. Have set times for analysis, only in good moods. Set times for analysis, only in good moons. In Judaism, by the way, we know what those times are. They're before you go to bed at night, Friday afternoon before the Sabbath, they're before the new moon in the afternoon, uh, the cleaning out of the hummets of the bread products before Pesach for several days, but then you burn it, you don't bring your analysis into Passover with you. The whole month, of Elul which is the month before Rosh Hashanah all the way to really Yom Kippur so it's more like six weeks a little less minus the Shabbos Shabbos is not a time of self-analysis we have our times but if you want to get out of it ultimately start your service my service to the world I was raised with in LA with lots of food and lots of products and everything and we I don't have what my neighbor has. He always calls me, Yom you gotta help me raise money for these families. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'll make a few phone calls. I'll, I only call, you know, major donors who are like not gonna notice a grand here or a grand there. But I, it's just not my cause. Because I don't have that, I'm not genetically freaked out about people not eating because all I know is in my life is, is plenty. Um, he's freaked out about it. I'm freaked out about other things. I'm freaked out about people not caring for each other. And I spend my whole life working on that. That I'm freaked out about. That I lose sleep over. That upsets me. People not caring for each other. That's my thing. So I use my ability to speak to bring that across. And I brought it across again in this class. Of caring, of giving, service to one another. How can I help you? That's what I'm crazy about. When I'm not doing it, I start thinking about Yom Tov again. And in a good mood, that's fine. But in a low mood, I'm going to have some pretty lousy analysis about myself. Probably going to get even put myself in some kind of tailspin. Negative thoughts for a few days. Thought attacks. How I'm doing. Figure out what you're here to give. What is your contribution and start contributing it. Live for that. You're not going to have time for this self analysis except for the proper times. You see, the reason we're given analysis, and by the way, Jews have been given an extra portion of analytical ability. Meaning, Gentiles have called us every name in the book over the history of the world, except for dumb. dumb right? They never called us stupid. Even me, like I should be stupid. You I, mean, I, I surf six to eight hours a day. I, at night, I threw parties. You know, I'm I'm like a serious athlete, party animal. You know, but all my friends who did what I did were brain dead. Understand that. So the, anyway, the point is, is the reason we were given this analytical ability was not to analyze ourselves. It was to analyze what? Torah. Torah isn't simple, guys. Torah requires great analysis. This whole book called the Torah, all these words are just hyperlinks that shoot you to the oral tradition. And the oral tradition is like massively complex. Take logic, go to a logic class in university, it's like logic in Talmud, the oral law, is like logic on steroids. And you have to understand that just to be fulfilling the commandments of the actual Torah. You're gonna need great analytical ability to do that. I mean, wouldn't it be a dirty trick to give the Torah to anyone else? To anyone else. Can you imagine? I mean, if you're going to give the Torah, you've got to give it to people who can handle it. Handle analyzing the Torah. Now, I'm not saying that Gentiles can't analyze the Torah. Of course they can analyze the Torah. But not as an entire nation. Meaning we're a nation that can do it. We're a nation. That's our job as a nation is to analyze Torah and then to live it and fulfill it. As this cosmic nation of priests, that's what we're called, Mamleches Kohanim, and you will be a nation of priests to the world. Our entire nations, the scholars; our entire nation are the practitioners. It's not we don't have some intermediaries. We are the intermediaries. Even some Jew on Wall Street. You know, I've been over in Wall Street, and I looked at my watch and I said, ah, "It's time for Mincha. It's time for the afternoon service." And I'm just a rabbi, you know, going down there to counsel people in the boardrooms and stuff, people who need help. And, and uh, someone says, oh, come with me. I go into the, the, the annals of the, you know, the guts of this giant skyscraper. And you know what's in there? An afternoon service where there's like 25 Jews on the stairwell, person on each step. And we're all standing on our step facing Jerusalem in the guts of a giant skyscraper. And we're in there praying. And all these people are businessmen. But they're praying. They're here to do their job. The money they make is good. 10% is automatically going to charity. Where does the charity go to? Where does your 10% go to? Whoever you want. No no temple central, you know. You don't send it to your synagogue. To whomever you see fit, and the and the and you want to hear the craziest thing. While well, we're in the silent prayer, I hear voices. In the, we're all in silence. I hear voices. I look up. You know, I'm on the railing. I look up. About ten flights up is another group, and then they went into the silent prayer. And I hear more voices. And I look down. About ten flights down, another group. This whole meaning the guts of the buildings of Manhattan of the financial world of Manhattan are filled with prayer Filled with prayer and filled with proper priorities because all those prayers the silent prayers are just 19 those 19 benedictions are 19 priorities that a Jew should have And we repeat them three times a day the morning, the afternoon, the evening Jews have been given analytical ability to decipher the Torah, to live the Torah. Otherwise, your your analytical ability isn't for analyzing yourself. We have times for that. And the way you keep yourself well distracted is you are of service. And why are you of service? Because you realize that all there is is God. And if all there is is God, then I'm part of God, and therefore I don't need to worry about anything else but that oneness, and if someone else lacks something that I'm here to give, I'll give it. And I stay stay well distracted with the truth that we're here to serve. And now, you ready for the magical part of the principle? And I'll end with this, is that if you decide, so you might say to me, well, Rabbi, you tell us you should serve, but we don't live in a micro-community of 200 people where 199 of them are taking care of you. Are you ready for the grand promise? There's something magical that happens when you choose to serve without even looking around to see if someone will take care of you. The second you decide to serve others, which means you're now fulfilling the purpose of creation, which means God who runs creation, and by the way, the whole thing, all creation is really of God anyway, God starts taking care of you via all kinds of other cosmic serendipitous ways meaning the second you stop worrying about you and start worrying about others then God himself will start making sure that all the pieces will fall into place so you are always taken care of it is amazing and I promise you that and you can test it out and come back to me and tell me that if you went and started serving others and stopped worrying about number one but start worrying about number one, the oneness, you will come back and tell me, Rabbi, it was amazing, but I never lack. I never lack because now I'm on God's team. I'm fulfilling the purpose of the video game, which is to get that everything is of oneness of God, and I'm here to serve. And when you do that, which is an act of faith, because you don't have the 199 people saying, don't worry, I'll take care of you. But when you do that as an act of faith, and just start serving, you will be cared for. So start figuring out what your contribution is and start fulfilling it. And if it takes money, use other people's money. There's enough people making money in this world than if you actually had a dream to contribute something to this world, to waste any time working to pay for it, would be crazy if it costs money. Not everyone's contribution costs money. But if your contribution is going to take money to organize it and create it, don't spend your money on it. We need someone out there doing it. Use other people's money. There's plenty of people making enough money who would be more than happy to give their 10%. And by the way, why does Judaism say you can give your 10% to anyone? as opposed to to some central authority because every single person is here to serve that's a major pillar of creation well if every person's here to serve so he needs to have his contribution sustained often financially so the second you have something you're here to serve the world with you are now entitled to that 10% of someone else's charity to make sure that it takes place in the world because the world is about fulfilling the, this oneness well every individual has his own contribution well who's going to pay for that contribution <laughs> what are you going to go to the synagogue and say listen I've discovered my contribution you don't mind uh, flowing a little cash this way you know the rabbis can be like well we'll bring it up at the next board meeting you know. no the charity goes to each individual Okay. Shalom, everyone. Peace. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.